Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. Hi everybody, this is Matt Minnick and you are listening to Chalk Talk. I have got a great guest today who you are probably familiar with from Pro Football Focus and the Two for One Drafts podcast. It is Austin Gale. Austin, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. How about yourself? Great. Awesome, man. So I uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, now, a lot of the questions, a lot of things I want to talk about today relate to wins above replacement. So first, before we get too deep down the hole, uh, if you could kind of give us the the uh, Reader's Digest version uh, of, of what exactly wins above replacement is, just so we can have a baseline information to go off of as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, with PFS wins above replacement, it's an attempt to kind of categorically by position rank a player's like value to a football team. Obviously, with that being said, position value is like very easily seen in wins above replacement. Quarterbacks offering the most in that regard. It's a, it's a metric we recently developed to kind of help better predict future football wins. Uh, my, my, my colleague and a data scientist here at PFF, Dr. Eric Eager, uh, wrote a study about how wins, PFF's wins above replacement metric is actually more predictive of future wins than previous wins, which is a good finding for and, and a good t- you know pat on the back for PFF's wins above replacement model. And I think it's, uh, it's important when you're draft evaluation, player evaluation, when you're looking at building a roster, factoring in how much a player specifically impacts the game and adds wins above replacement is, is, is a good is a good barometer for value and how good that player is. Now, obviously, the quarterback is going to have the uh, largest impact. And, you know, it's, it's been stated basically the closer you are in relationship to the quarterback, uh, you know, the more you interact directly with the quarterback, the more of an impact you have on the quarterback, the higher your your wins above replacement is going to be. Um, but for some of those positions that where it's harder to get to that level, uh, you know, like like offensive guard. You know, I would imagine because it's so hard for an offensive guard to have a major impact uh, and obviously very easy for them to have a negative impact with a holding penalty or, or giving up a sack or something like that, uh, that there aren't many that really stand out, uh, you know, above replacement level. So is there any added value that when you have a guy who who does make an impact is that guy worth a little bit more than having a, a Quentin Nelson uh, per se? And I, I don't know. I'm throwing this out there. I don't know what his what his war is, but um, you know, a Quentin Nelson, if he's directly impacting the game and other guards aren't, uh, is that kind of an X factor that you have a player at that position that can that can have an impact? 
I'd say a yes and no. I mean, it definitely benefits your football team. But the problem is that Quentin Nelson, the best guard in football, can't have, just simply can't have the same impact as an average corner or a slightly above average offensive tackle can have just with the position they play. Like Quentin Nelson does give you value at that position. But again, the best Quentin Nelson, the best guard in football, doesn't offer the same amount of value as what a, a very good wide receiver or a cornerback or obviously a quarterback can do. And I think that's that's kind of the, the root of war. You know, it's, you know, you can have these Quentin Nelsons that you can draft the best guard, you know, a future Hall of Fame guard in the first round of this upcoming draft. But he's not going to have the same impact as if you draft an above average wide receiver that plays for your football team because they have a better impact on the game. And I'm glad you brought up holding penalties. It's a big reason why guards are low on, on wins above replacements because you have a holding penalty. It's so hard to recoup that value. You just lost 10 yards for an offense. It's so hard as a guard to bring that value back with what you do on the football field, you know, blocking for the running back and, and blocking in pass protection. You know, the, the worst guard in football allows maybe 20 to 25 pressures a year. The best guard within five pressures. That's just not a huge difference. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a matter of, you know, 15 plays. And I think with that being said, it's just so hard to really recruit that value at guard. Even the best guards in football don't give you that much of an edge over your opponents. And, and I don't want to make this about Quentin Nelson or have any people, you know, all of your timeline talking about how you hate Quentin Nelson or anything. So, uh, but I'm just using him as an example because it, it, everybody knows it. But Quentin Nelson, you know, where he was drafted, you know, a top ten draft pick. Uh, I'll throw in, I'll throw in linebackers too, like Devin Bush, Devin White, uh, recently who were drafted at the top, uh, but you know, aren't necessarily a positions that have a, a huge impact. Um, are those guys, in your opinion, not, and again, not those guys specifically, but are guards, linebackers, positions like that worth uh, top 10 type picks? I would argue no. And I think it, it's, it's for that reason that Quint Nelson does not single-handedly make the Indianapolis Colts that much better compared to if they did add a quarterback in those things. Quentin Nelson's a great guard, however, and there's no slight of him. He's one of the highest-graded guards PFF's had over the past three years. He could be the highest-graded, if I look it up here, since he was drafted. He's that good. The problem is he's not. he doesn't play a position of high value. I mean, if you had a guard or Quentin Nelson's talent, say the same level from a grading perspective at corner or wide receiver or offensive tackle, you'd have a much better football team. I think everyone would agree with that, knowing this, the impact that those positions can have. And I think looking back at it, looking at the draft class, maybe you would take other players at higher positional value that turned out to be good players, maybe not as good as Quentin Nelson, but good players at their respective positions. If they were higher in positional value over Quentin Nelson, going back into that draft, I'm sure you'd see that. So just hypothetical, if, if you had an offensive line that was completely replacement level, like exactly replacement level, and you brought in Quentin Nelson, your unit would be better, most likely, for putting him at tackle. If, if he was, as a tackle, at least above replacement level, you're doing more for your unit there than, than you would be putting him at guard? Absolutely. I mean, PFF has been a big proponent of drafting, you know, trying to play very, very good offensive linemen at tackle. You, you kind of see that with Braden Smith. I mean, he's on the Colts as well. We play guard at Auburn. They play him at tackle. He's average to above average and offers more value than Quentin Nelson. He has a higher wins above replacement than Quentin Nelson because he plays a more valuable position. The worst offensive tackle in football allows 85 pressures a year. 
the best one within 10. Look, look at that difference between guard. The worst guard yeah. last year, 25 pressures, the best guard within five. Like you have a, you know, that's just a higher percentage of plays that you can lose or, or you, you know, the worst guard will, or worst offensive tackle will lose. That's why having Braden Smith only allow between 15 and 30 pressures is more valuable than Quentin Nelson being, you know, the best pass protector in football. It, it's just like simple mathematics, simple plays affected type of metrics. Taking that uh, a step further, you know, you don't want to take him at the front of the draft. Patrick Queen is somebody that a lot of a lot of fans are are hoping that maybe he slips out of the first round. Um, if you have the 33rd draft pick, I mean, is it is it crazy to go linebacker there when you could be going for a, a tackle that might not be as good but might have a bigger impact? I, I think it obviously depends on who's available. I, I, and with Patrick Queen, he's I think he's the top 40 player on PFS board. He's a guy that at the top of round two, you start to feel good about. Round one is a bit rich considering positional value. But again, it, it depends on who's on the board. If you can get an, an above average wide receiver at 33, I think that makes more sense for the Cincinnati Bengals. If you can get above average cornerback at 33, that makes more sense for the Cincinnati Bengals. The, the, the problem is, is that People think that if you're not going to go after, say, Patrick Queen at 33, you're going to get like an average to below average player at a higher positional value. That's not the case. That you know, PFF doesn't encourage taking a player at you know that is you know you think will be average or below average in the NFL just because he plays a more valuable position. The problem is, is if you do think there's an average to above average cornerback on the board at 33, and you're picking between him and an off ball linebacker or guard, the, the the pick is obvious. Go grab an average to above average cornerback. There's not enough of those in the NFL. I think you have to stick to your evaluations at that point. But again, look at the you know look at the positions of high value when you're drafting inside the top 50, top 75 picks, and try and grab guys of high positional value because those guys get paid more on their second contracts. If you want to go grab one in free agency, those guys offer more value over the first four or five years of their contracts as rookies. Again, it comes back to that. Well, that's an interesting point, too, because, you know, when you talk about offensive tackle versus offensive guard, really offensive tackle is a position that's making a lot of money in free agency. And we talk about the, the importance of the fifth year uh, for quarterbacks, uh, you know, the, the fifth year of team control for quarterbacks. But I would imagine that's, that's going to be really important for, for offensive tackles as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's a big, I mean, I think you saw with the, in the 2018 NFL draft, I'm looking at it now because that's when Quentin Nelson was drafted. It's the, a big reason why the San Francisco 49ers and the uh, then Oakland Raiders drafted offensive tackle in round one with Mike McGlinchey and Colt Miller. Both of those offensive tackles have been good, not great. Obviously, McGlinchey a little bit better than what Colt Miller has put out. But a big reason for that is because they're high positional value. And if you want an offensive tackle starting, you know, playing your bookend, you're probably going to have to pay upwards of $20 million per year to get a very good one. You saw that when they made Trent Brown the highest paid offensive tackle in football that offseason. I mean, I think it's it's very important when you're drafting high in this class, I mean, high in the draft to target positions that will get paid a ton of money on the open market because you can fill that position of need with a player making less than a million, less than two million dollars a year in the first round. Yeah, the guys you mentioned are, are both gigantic human beings. And I mean, I think I think that's something as well with the tackle position. And we saw it with Orlando Brown that he didn't test well, but I, like those huge guys just have really, really high floors just for being huge, I feel like. Yeah, I, PFF has done a lot of work with athleticism and size and seeing how that correlates to success in the NFL. And we see with the offensive tackle position, edge defender, among other positions, that athleticism very much matters. With Orlando Brown, him being big, is a big part of that. But he's largely protected 
in the Baltimore Ravens scheme. They run a ton of play action, a lot of quick drops, move the quarterback around. He, you know, in a, in a traditional offense, maybe running more five and seven step drops. I think he gets beaten up a bit, but he's in a very good system that fits his skill set. But I mean, you look at Colt Miller, one of the best athletes at offensive tackle the NFL has ever seen, and he's been serviceable, if not slightly below average since entering the NFL. I, I think getting that type of offensive tackle in the first round may be too rich, but if he ends up panning out to be an average to above average tackle over the next two years on his rookie deal, you start to think about that as good value. Uh, swinging back around to the linebacker position, and you know, again, we're focusing on some areas here that are, are really desired by Bengals fans where they didn't, where they came up a bit short of, of expectation in free agency. One guy that uh, PFF is very high on is Troy Dye. He is uh, the second highest uh, overall graded linebacker for his career uh, in the in the draft this year, uh, as graded by PFF, uh, second only to Isaiah Simmons. So obviously pretty good company. He's a guy on film that has a really good really good athletic profile, and I think linebacker is a position too where it's been said quite a bit that the most important thing is that the guy can run. Uh, that's something that the Bengals have lacked. So would, would waiting, taking a more prestigious position uh, at 33 and trying to get like a Troy Dye if you're trying to fill a need at linebacker uh, in the third round, would that be a smarter strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, Mike Renner, my colleague, uh, had a conversation on the podcast, 2 for 1 Drafts, about the linebacker position. Would you rather have Patrick Queen or maybe an Akeem Davis Gaither on date late day two, early day three, and a lot. And we sided with Akeem Davis Gaither. Would you rather have Kenneth Murray on day one, or maybe Willie Gay Jr. at the back end of day two, day three? We said Willie Gay Jr. Like it makes more sense to target, you know, guys that you like. Obviously, it's never gonna. You're not. You're not just targeting a position, but targeting a position that you feel like is a good value on late day two, early day three. Um, at linebacker rather than one of the first round guys, I think it always, not always, but sometimes makes more sense than some of the high profile guys. And with Troy Dye, he's very instinctual, knows how to play coverage, played all of last year or nearly all of last year with like a big mitt on his hand because he broke his hand, but still ended up panning out in coverage. I mean, if you want to get an athletic, long, good coverage linebacker, don't go grab Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray early in this draft. Wait for a Willie Gay Jr., Keem Davis Gaither, Troy Dye, these guys at the back end that can offer that value without, you know, spending too much draft capital on it. Yeah, and there's definitely there's definitely a lot of those out there. I think as well, obviously we talk about affecting the pass game is the most important thing. And I think when you look at film of college linebackers, they are all very much lacking in coverage. Uh, just from from a perspective of how much were they asked to do necessarily. So finding those guys with the athletic profile that, you know, you can teach them that, that they have that, um, you know, that, that, that's going to set you apart and put you in a much better uh, situation. But again, we've kind of we've talked a lot about uh, linebackers, about tackles, as I, as I alluded to uh, in free agency. I think a lot of Bengals fans were hoping that they'd spend some money and come away with a Corey Littleton, with a Joe Schobert, maybe a Graham Glasgow. Uh, Joe Tooney was a dream before he got franchise tagged. Now, the Bengals did eventually address those positions. Uh, it was a little bit later and, and a lot less money. Uh, but where they really invested was on the defensive side of the ball with DJ Reader. But more importantly to this conversation, uh, they invested heavily in the secondary, really remaking their secondary with Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander and Von Bell. So although fans were a little disappointed to not come away with a Joe Sherbert, Schobert, uh, Schobert, excuse me, uh, or a Corey Littleton, 
would you say that this was a wiser use of assets by uh, by the Bengals this offseason? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I, but I will say this: Corey Littleton did not get a lot of money on the open market. Yeah, I, I would argue that he was underpaid. I think twelve million dollars average per year signing with the Las Vegas Raiders—that's good value for off a linebacker because he's, you know, linebacker is one of those positions that you don't see peak early. It's usually later in their careers that they start to have a ton of success. We've already seen that with Devin White and Devin Bush this past year, both having underwhelming rookie campaigns but trending up towards the end of the season I, I think Corey Littleton at 12 million dollars per year on average with what he's done in coverage was was a good was good value and maybe one that Cincinnati Bengals should have jumped on but I really do like what they did with Josh Bynes I think he's going to be asked to do a lot of the same things in Cincinnati that position without spending a ton of capital I think they spent the money in the right areas Mackenzie Alexander was one of the most underrated signings in free agency four million dollars on a one-year deal for a guy that's proven he can play in the slot at a high level at least at some points of his career that's a slam dunk signing in my opinion I think they overpaid a bit for DJ Reader and Trey Waynes but I, I, DJ Reader had a career year this past year very good against the run he's exactly what the Cincinnati Bengals wanted Andrew Billings to be, but DJ Reader could be that. And when you have defensive tackles like Reader, it's, he can eat up blocks, free up space for the linebackers, make things easier on the back end. And I think that's what the Bengals want up front. I mean, it's exactly what they wanted Andrew Billings to do this past year. And I think for Trey Waynes, that's where I kind of only have the concern. I think paying him as much as they did was a head scratcher for me because I don't see him as a big time corner in this league yes he's got speed yes he's got length there's measurables you can get attached to but he, he still has not proven to be productive consistently productive on the high end of things in this in the nfl an average to slightly below average corner you probably overpaid at that position it may have been smart to allocate that resource to someone either who is more proven at higher price point or allocate that price you know to someone who's less proven at a cheaper price point support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So you mentioned about linebackers uh, not having a major impact in their in their rookie season. Uh, 
you know, tight end has been said to be a, part, a position as well that where it's hard to uh, hard to really adapt and uh, make an impact early. Would, would you say that it's, it's positions where there's there's more processing, where you have to learn more? Do you think those are the positions where, where uh, people struggle to uh, make an impact early in their careers? Or do you think it's you know, physical? I, a lot of it is speculation, but I, I think that's part of it. I, I think the linebacker position, the tight end position are, are two of the hardest positions to play in the NFL. Obviously, quarterback kind of being up there the most, largely because you're asked to do do to do so many different things. I mean, tight ends asked to block, pass protect, you know, run routes, all of those types of things. It's hard to find a guy that can do all of that at a high level. And as for off-ball linebacker, you're putting in, in a bind every play. Running backs are more athletic. Slots receivers are, are more prominent. It's becoming more and more difficult to be a three-down off-ball linebacker in the NFL. You have to be close to 240 pounds and a freakish athlete. It's why Devin Bush, Devin White, Isaiah Simmons, Patrick Queen, these guys that have athleticism and good size are all being coveted. But again, it's a hard position to play um, and, and why maybe it takes longer to kind of put out good production at that position. I think you need to learn the speed of the NFL, learn scheme, you know, learn next level scheme, learn to adapt. And I think that's the biggest reason why maybe it, it doesn't translate to immediate success. We talked a little bit about, uh, you know, about the, the importance of coverage. And one thing uh, I think PFF came out with this and uh, after a study about a year ago, uh, they, they found that coverage is more important or more valuable uh, than pass rush. Now, this makes sense to me, uh, and, and every explanation of it that I've heard uh, has explained it in terms of the unit. Uh, that is, you know, if you have a better coverage unit as opposed to a better pass rush unit, uh, all, you know, if all this is equal, that, that you're better off. Uh, however, I've heard people use it as kind of a justification, like, hey, maybe you should take Jeff Okuda over Chase Young, which is a little bit confusing to me because, I mean, I mean to me, if, if, if your entire defense is uh, is replaceable, right, you have a replacement-level defense and you put Jeff Okuda in there, it's pretty easy to throw away from him. He's probably not going to have a major impact. But if you have one elite pass rusher that you had to that defense, like a Chase Young, he's going to get to the quarterback. He, he's going to have some kind of – uh, you know, impact on the game. So while I understand that you can say that about the unit, uh, has PFF found that an individual pa- uh, an individual uh, coverage man is more valuable than an individual pass rusher? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is projection. You know, if you think Jeffrey Okuda is going to be if you think Jeffrey Okuda is going to be a better player overall than Chase Young, you're obviously taking him. However, if you think Jeffrey Okuda is going to be an above average to elite cornerback, while you know Chase Young is going to be an elite pass rusher, there is an argument because being an above average to elite cornerback in the NFL does have more value than being an elite pass rusher. However, so much of that is projection. Some, you know, I, I think you don't, we don't know if Jeffrey Okuda is going to get to that tier. We obviously have evaluations in place to kind of assume those things. And we don't know though. He does feel like the safest prospect in this class. We don't, fully know if Chase Young's going to you know, go to the NFL and be a future Hall of Famer like a lot of people project. I think with those two, it's more of where do you feel more comfortable with your projection? Do you feel do you where, do you feel more strongly that Jeffrey Okuda is going to be an above average to elite cornerback than you do Chase Young being an elite pass rusher? If you do, then Jeffrey Okuda should be in the conversation. However, if you feel more strongly that Chase Young is going to be this elite pass rusher in the NFL than you do that Jeffrey Okuda is even going to be above average in the NFL, then I think it's obvious that you take Chase Young. And I think a lot of evaluations will side with the fact that I feel way more confident Chase Young is going to be an elite pass rusher than I do Jeffrey Okuda completely translating in the NFL. 
Okay, so so it can be applied on an individual level. It's not just about the the strength of the unit overall. It, it can be applied on an individual level because I mean, adding individuals that are good in that regard will improve the unit overall. And I think there, to clarify more about ca- coverage versus pass rush and those things, pass rush is a lot more stable and a lot easier to predict. We've seen that our pass rushing grades have high predictive power going from college to the pros. You can count on pass rushers in college being, you know, generally obviously on average or correlating to success in the NFL more so than you can coverage play year over year because there's so many other factors involved. With that being said, coverage is more valuable when it's good, but you can't count on it repeating itself year over year, year over year like you can pass rush. So as a as an evaluator, as a decision maker, you kind of have to sit there and say I know Chase Young, if he comes in year over year, I can start to expect this dominance as a pass rusher. While with coverage, it can be up and down. Jalen Ramsey can be very good one year, but also give up a ton of yards the following year. It can be very up and down. So at the end of the day, you know, again, uh, turn it around to the Bengals. You know, let's say you have Bond and, and uh, Diggs both slip through the first round. And let's say there's an equal need. There's an equal scheme fit. And. You know, you you value you evaluated both on the same level. Uh, you're taking the uh, excuse me, you're taking the the coverage man as, as a course of to the uh, pass rush when all else is equal. I, I think so, absolutely. If you know, if you're considering both will be equal players, both say above the elite players in the NFL, I would take the coverage player for sure. And in that scenario, it's like Zach Bond versus Trayvon Diggs. Zach Bond, you know, trying to be an off-ball linebacker at the next level, obviously productive as an edge rusher with Wisconsin, but Trayvon Diggs. In the right scheme, I think can be a very good player in the NFL. He's got a long wingspan. Press at the line of scrimmage is great. Again, it comes back to your evaluation. You have to bring it back to your evaluation. You can't look at facet of play and positions in a silo. You have to go back to your evaluation and where you feel confident uh, projecting that player in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, people get caught up in in position value. They get caught up in, in, you know, different metrics and testing. But, yeah, obviously you get a – you got to put all the pieces together and you got to figure out what's right. And what's right for one team isn't necessarily going to be right for another team. So mm-hmm. uh, um, now using uh, the wins above replacement stat PFF determined uh, that the Bengals were one of the better drafting teams in the league uh, between 2006 and 2016. Obviously the last three years have been rough uh, with uh, John Ross's injury, Billy Price's struggles uh, last year. Not surprisingly, PFF uh, stated that the Bengals got the least value out of their draft, which uh, with what with Drew Sample doing very little and Jonah Williams not playing all year, we probably didn't need you to figure out. <laughs> I think most of us would have guessed that. But um, what do you think that what do you think is the truth about the Bengals scouting department? Uh, as we look at that longer period, do you expect them to kind of revert to the mean and get back to being a good drafting team after a few years of bad luck? Uh, or do you think that they've got some issues? Uh, and sorry, a lot of that, again, is speculation. Without being in the room, without knowing their processes, I feel sure. guilt, guilty speaking on it. But I do think for every NFL team, for every scouting department, for every front office, the draft is very much a lottery. You're putting together evaluations with, you know, with with ranging confidence levels. You know, with Joe Burrow, for example, there's a range of outcomes with Joe Burrow. And I think one of them is obviously a bust. He does not pan out. You know, maybe he battles injuries. You know, he, he's not he's not successful in the NFL, whatever it may be. But you, with your evaluation, have to decide how likely is that range of outcome? You know, how likely is that outcome in the NFL? For us, we see it very low because of what he's done at the collegiate level, what we've seen from an accuracy standpoint, what he, you know, even what he did in 2018, how much better he got 
in 2019, you think that outcome is lower. And I think, I think with that being said, you're developing this range of outcomes for every player and you have to understand, okay, when I'm drafting a player, I need to know that this is one of the range of outcomes, but with the right supporting cast, with the right coaching staff in the right scheme, I think I can get Joe Burrow between the 85th and 95th percentile in terms of what I see him, him as a player. I think you have to look at every player like that. No player has one range, you know, a limited range of outcomes. There's every player in that, in this draft class has a very, uh, a big range of outcomes. You know, obviously those boom or bust draft prospects have larger ranges of outcomes. So I don't know. I think it's important to look at each prospect and say, hey, you know, system, scheme, supporting cast, situation, all that stuff really, really matters for prospects. It's not so much like this player will be very good if I draft him versus this player will be good if this team drafts him. I think there are cornerbacks in this class that fit certain schemes, same with off-ball linebackers, wide receivers. I think so much of it goes into the draft, and it's a big reason why it's a crapshoot. I mean, it's a lottery every year. There's busts every year. So, again, not trying to to, trying to over-speculate, uh, but – since the Bengals have struggled over the last three years, they've, they've also struggled on the field. So the fact that their draft class has not performed over the last few years could very much be related to the fact that they've had some other struggles on the team. They've had some struggles with the coaching staff and a quick turnover last year. Things along those lines could definitely be coming into play with why the, those draft classes haven't performed. Yeah, I mean, that and quarterback play. I mean, you could draft, sure. you could draft, the, you could draft the best, you know, non-quarterbacks every year but if your quarterback's not playing at a high level you're not going to win football games we saw that with Andy Dalton when they were going to the playoffs year after year and losing in the first round I think with Cincinnati Bengals also they've struggled with injury Andy Dalton of late AJ Green I mean when you struggle when your best players can't stay on the football field that also makes it very difficult to recoup that value I think the Bengals oh and I want to go back to what I said about you know repeated draft mistakes and are they a good front office or they're not how you avoid systemic mistakes is factoring in possessional value and understanding that the range of outcomes for Quentin Nelson, even at his best, is lower than the range of outcomes, the entire field of play for Joe Burrow or the quarterback position or even some corners. Looking at, you know, kind of bringing this back full circle, looking at the 2018 NFL draft, I think the Indianapolis Colts would have got more value out of some of the offensive tackles that were drafted. Maybe Mike McGlinchey, coverage players like Derwin James, Leighton Van Der Esch, Minka Fitzpatrick. Those guys have excelled in coverage. Jair Alexander, and even go down the list, the wide receiver position, DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, I, I think Cortland Sutton. You're looking at players that have, are closer to the quarterback have a better relationship with the quarterback in terms of, you know, to that uh, play style. And I think with that being said, I mean, the Indianapolis Colts probably wouldn't be better off in terms of if they're trying to hit this value mark to going after those players. And I think you have to understand positional value if you want to avoid systemic mistakes. So if Billy Price was performing like Quinton Nelson, it wouldn't necessarily fix the last three years of the Bengals drafts because as an interior lineman, he can't have that big of an overall impact. Exactly. I mean, again, it goes back to, you know, if you go back to that draft, they force need in the first round going after a center, going after a center. I mean, it's 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 wild. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. going back and looking at it, it's 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 peculiar because you just did not expect them to do that in that round. What was that? 2017 NFL draft? That was 18, I believe. OK, let me go back. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, I believe 17 was Ross and that was 18. So, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's but looking pretty, uh, at. You look at that first round, obviously Detroit Lions take Frank Ragnow. They want a center. They force center. Billy Price. Mm -hmm. I would argue that DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, you know, you look at all these other guys that were drafted after met different positions. You can debate mm -hmm. whether or not 
Calvin Ridley was better than DJ Moore. Just looking strictly at positions, you're going to recoup more value from those positions of high value. I wouldn't even say, even though Frank Ragano has been the better player, that the Detroit Lions hit a slam dunk with that pick, knowing that they didn't necessarily draft at a high positional value. All right. Uh, so what kind of impact is Joe Burrow going to have overall uh, or, or potentially going to have overall uh, on the value you're getting out of everybody around him? Uh, and, you know, what? also just throw in what uh, type of comp do you have in the NFL for Joe Burrow? Yeah, I'll start with the comp. I mean, my comp for Joe Burrow is Tony Romo. I think similar athleticism for him. I, I think they're similar players in that they do very well out of structure in addition to inside of structure. I mean, injuries, if, if Joe Burrow, I mean, not Joe Burrow, if Tony Romo doesn't get hurt, I think he could have been one of the better cornerbacks, I mean, quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think my, my take on Joe Burrow is you're going to need a good supporting cast for him to have success like all rookie quarterbacks, like all young quarterbacks. But he can make do with the bad offensive line. He knows where to put the football. He's more accurate than any other quarterback. PFF is graded in the, in the PFF college era dating back to 2014. I'd be welcome to say he's the best quarterback prospect we've seen over the past five years. You have to feel very good about taking him number one overall. I think him going to Cincinnati with A.J. Green franchise, Tyler Boyd there. I think there's a good opportunity for, have, for him to have success early, but this, t- this roster is not done. They need to continue to add at valuable positions, cornerback, wide receiver, Got to hope Jonah Williams comes back healthy. I loved him coming out. I think he can be a successful player in the NFL. But again, build this roster around Joe Burrow. Get the quarterback, draft him number one overall, and do what other teams do when they have that rookie quarterback. Build around him because you have the luxury of a quarterback on a rookie contract. All right. Well, uh, appreciate you joining me today, Austin. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, is there anywhere where people should go to follow your work and, uh, and uh, your, your podcast as well? Yeah, absolutely. Go to pff.com to check out all that PFF's putting out. You can also follow me on Twitter, PFF underscore Austin Gale. And my podcast with Mike Renner is Two for One Drafts. Check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thank you everyone for listening. Keep on coming back. We will have great guests uh, and keep you up to date on everything with the draft, free agency, everything else that's going on with the Bengals throughout this offseason. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah, we're coming for